So our next speaker introduced me to a whole new process. She calls it child being. In which case, what do we do when our parents are getting older? We don't parent them because we're their child. So listen to this process because it's a completely new mindset that I really love. Building spirituality, family, health, and business. This is The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant. Hey, Giant Builders. I'm so happy to have you here. I wanted to let you know that we really, really would love to have you follow us on our social medias. So those links are below. So today's guest is Raina Nices. And how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Great. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am actually a farm wife. I live in Kansas and my husband farms about 3,000 acres, soybeans, corn, all of that kind of fun stuff. So we're pretty busy on the farm. I'm a grandma of seven. And one of my favorite things is I get to hang out. I have gram days a couple days a week where I have grandkids come over and just spend the day. So I really hate it when they go to school because once they reach that age, I just have to have them a little bit after school. But other than that, I also am a dog lover, have a pug that you might hear snort every now and then and a Boston Terrier. So. Wow. There you go. <laughs> All right. Aren't those grandkids the best? They are the best. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, um, What do you do professionally? So I am actually a certified coach with the International Coach Federation, and I specialize in working with professional women, Christian women who are in a season of caring for their aging parents. I've walked that journey myself, and so I love to be able to come alongside and really just help them take the space and the time to process all that is included in that caregiving, whether it be the logistical things that are happening at that time or the emotional stuff. And so I love to be able to come alongside. So coaching is my favorite thing. I also do professional speaking. I'm um, a PAC certified trainer, which is Tipa Snow's professional approach to care. So I love to go out and share dementia education as well and have a podcast and um, a book as well. So lots of fun things. All right, well, let's walk through this aging process. Um, Can we stop the process? I'm just kidding. (laughs) We we think we can, right? And especially the younger we are, the more sure we are, we're not going to ever be like that. (laughs) All right. So at what point of aging parents team do most people reach out to you? Probably when their parents, well, that's a great, that's a great question. So usually it's a crisis. So sometimes it's earlier than others, but definitely as that parent's getting into their seventies and they're definitely starting to see concerns about, you know, caring for the home, caring for themselves, if there hasn't been a fall before then or a diagnosis, but typically it's a crisis that's come that really has just kind of maxed them out Mm -hmm. in having to add that to the already busy life that they have. And you've had experience with this. Can you share some of your story? Yeah. So mine is different than most in that I was only 16 when my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So she lived for 12 years in the home with my dad as her primary caregiver. 
So I went off to college and got married and did all of those things, but always was coming back, trying to support and trying to be there for my dad. Seven years after her passing, my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and he lived 14 years. So it was a whole different ball game with him in that, you know, when you have that other parent there to support, then they're that primary caregiver. When you don't, then you have to find a way to offer that support to them. My dad's request was to stay home as long as possible. So my farm is 220 miles from where my dad was. So I actually drove up every Thursday through Sunday and stayed with him and was one of the hands-on caregivers to take care of him in his home. Um, my sister was close by. And so we just built this team around him, about 14 of us all together that would come in, care for, take two day stays, do just all whatever needed to be done to keep the household running and to keep him at home. So that that was definitely the catalyst of of changing my coaching business to support others who were in that season. Because at that point, I had my youngest was at home in high school and, you know, was kind of fell in that sandwich generation myself. Wow. So it sounds like building a tribe is very beneficial. Huge. We cannot, you cannot do it alone. I don't care how good you are. You can't. <laughs> There's too much happening emotionally and physically to be able to have your own life and care for them. And that's so many times I see caregivers who really resent caregiving because they haven't continued to live. They've given up everything to help to sustain the person they're caring for. And I don't think that is really what that person would want anyway. I know my dad knew I was his legacy. So he didn't want me to give everything up for him. And so it's a difficult juggle, but it is something that I challenge people to figure out. How do you have your own life and love your life and um, walk your parent all the way home? Because you are doing that. They're not going to be here forever. And we want to have a life that we love to come back to once that big piece of demand is not on our lives anymore. Okay. Any tips on how to have that conversation with them? Definitely has to be an ongoing conversation. I think sometimes we psych ourselves up and try to just, you know, cover it all in one, one period of time. I think it's really helpful to have, you know, when aunt so-and-so falls mm -hmm. and things change for them or a friend, or even one of your friends is seeing their parent change being able to approach it that way makes it a little bit easier to say, hey, you know, such and such is going through this. What would you want to do if that happened to you? And just kind of open the door to have that conversation. None of us like to talk about our mentality, our mortality. So I think it's definitely challenging. The more we talk about it, though, I think the easier it becomes to just say, what would you what do you think? What would you like to have happen? I also say, you know, getting the financial things in order is so important. All the legal stuff. I think if we do it ourselves, it's easier to then say to our parents, well, I just met with this lawyer and they were great, really helped us, you know, just being able to say, I want to know what you want mm -hmm. and really asking questions is always more helpful than coming in and trying to direct. <laughs> So, all right, you've been through the experience where they had dementia. So is it more complicated to like, try to think of one of the questions. Do, do they change their mind? Do they, um, are, are you kind of like online with what they still want or as the dementia or the Alzheimer's sits in? It definitely, their needs change. 
And so I think the most important thing is knowing your loved one well enough to know what they would want. And that was really how I tried to make every decision was if dad could still do this for himself, what would he do? And that again is only through relationships. So we have to spend time with them. We have to invest in that relationship, even in this busy season of life of raising kids and all the other demands are usually our careers are going well at that point, taking a lot out of us. We can kind of forget that relationship, especially if we don't live close by. But I think the more that we know what they really want and know who they are, it helps us with that. It definitely changes. I think the one thing about dementia is you never know the last time they're going to remember you. You never know the last time they're going to know your name. You don't, you can't put these things off. You have to have these conversations as early as you can and really frequently to just kind of cover the bases. My dad's request was, I want to be at home as long as possible. Well, that sounded good in the moment, but what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) You know, when we reached that point, then it was like my sister and I had that conversation. Well, as long as possible. Okay. Financially, he had made arrangements. So his possibility was better than some because we could pay people to come in and help care for. And I, because of my husband and my situation and my willingness to commit, you know, we were able to do that by being able to compromise and figure some things out together, my sister and I, but it definitely is tricky. And Sometimes I hear parents say, don't ever put me in a home. And that's difficult too, because you don't really know what is going to come. So I think it just has to be really understanding that it's probably not going to be one answer or one conversation, but it's going to take time to see how their health changes and evolves and what their needs are, because there are times that needs become more medical, more than, you know, family can handle. So, All right. Yeah. So any tips on researching, like if you get to the point where you need to put them in a home, like what to look for, what to avoid? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we did take that step because I was so far away. My um, dad's sister was living with her, with him, and he had melanoma and his surgery to remove that cancer went pretty well, but two weeks later he developed MRSA in that wound. Mm. And so we had a really touch and go nine days in the hospital and infection really changes just mental capacity to process. So it set him back. And my aunt was like, I can't do this anymore. And so my sister and I, at that point, were like, okay, now what, you know, what is the next phase going to look like? And she felt like it definitely was placing him in a memory care unit and Uh, We went, we had our list, we visited, we had those conversations every time I left in tears. But my dad was still, he was in his early 70s or sorry, um, 80s at that point, but he was still playing volleyball three times a week and going to the gym three times a week. Now he wasn't driving. We were paying a caregiver to do that, but he was just so physically active and that's who he was as a person. So as I went in and looked, I was like, okay, chair yoga is not going to do it for him, you know? And so I think you have to look at what's available, but I do think it's so important to frame it in the person you're talking to is a salesperson. Yeah. And because I'd been a small business owner and I understood sales, I could hear the sales. And so I would recommend that you and family members go separately I would recommend that you go at different times because then you'll meet different people. Oh, 
And so for me, because I was coming up from out of town, I frequently was going late Friday afternoon or Saturday morning. I was meeting the head nurse. I was meeting the hands-on people, not the salespeople near as often. And my sister was meeting the salespeople. So our comparison of what we were hearing was really different. I think you have to know your loved one. You have to know what their needs are and just really ask those tough questions. You know, what does it look like when my dad doesn't want to take a shower? Because at home, I could push him more. In a facility, they can say no, and they have a right to say no. And that's kind of it. You get your one shot. And so, you know, just understanding how the function of what you're looking at, how does it work? And what is really covered? Um, you know, paid for and what is going to be extra levels of care change. And that means costs are going to increase. And so there's just, it's a very intricate process. So I think having all of your questions out and multiple visits would be all what I would really recommend. Again, at different times of the day, watch what it's like when they're eating, see what the food is like, you know, really having, um, spend some time. It's not, Sadly, oftentimes, again, we're in crisis. So those decisions can have to be really quick, but get people in your family to be a part of that. Have multiple people visit the same place. There are placement companies. um, You know, I think you have to see what your relationship is with that person. I don't necessarily recommend a national one because they don't know the local locations. So there are oftentimes people that are placement specialists that are in your community. And many times their story is it was such a hard thing for them. They want to help others. So when you call and interview and just see why, what their motivation is, I think that also helps you know, you know, where they're coming from. So there's, there's a lot. (laughs) It's a tough thing. Yeah. Is there, um, all right. So how how did your father handle the process of moving into the facility? So we never placed him. Oh, so okay. at that point um, we were looking and I would leave in tears and I just couldn't imagine that. And that's when my husband and I talked about it. And he was like, if you need to go live with your dad, then that's what you need to do. So I kind of looked at that and said, okay, what could we do for the same amount of money that it would cost to put him in a facility? You know, how much would I need to be here? How much would I need to do? And so as I approached my sister and just said, if I'm here half the week and we hire help 24 seven, half the week, would you, would you be on board with that? She's like, well, I could stay two nights a week. And my aunt who was needing to move out was like, well, I want to be with him. So I could stay two nights a week. I just can't do everything, you know? So we, you know, spread the load out. And that's how we started bringing companies in. We found there are day stay places where you can just go for the day, an adult day kind of care situation. We called it the club. And (laughs) dad actually really liked socializing with other people and the activities that they had. Then we also had caregivers that just continued to take him to the gym. And I took him to the gym on Saturdays. So when I was there, so, you know, we just kind of built that team around to meet our needs, but my dad was able to stay home all the way through to the end. Okay. Well, from experience with others, is there suggestions on what what the experience might be if they need to go to a home? So I think it's expect it to be awful. Okay. I think if we okay. set our okay. expectations yeah. really low, <laughs> then it could be great. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is how you do it. <laughs> I don't have that. I don't have the happy story. And I think the main reason why, and again, a lot of that depends when you're talking dementia, they 
you know, any change just, it really throws them off. And so it can take time for them to develop the new routine when they're making the choice themselves. It's a little bit easier, but it's still grief. And I think that's the one thing I want everybody to understand. It's going to be grief for you and your heart, and it's going to be grief for them. They're losing a lot of independence. None of us like to hand it over easily. It's hard to admit that we can't do what we've done for ourselves for so many years. So not that it is going to be awful in that way, but the transition is so hard. I think both for those with dementia and not, it's just uh, having to accept something about life that's just challenging. And as an adult child, I think the number one thing you have to do is not come in and take over. We are not parenting our parents. We are childing. And that means we're learning how to be a good child to our parents. And that is supporting them, supporting their decisions and helping them as much as we can. But the minute we come in and try to solve all the problems, we're going to get a lot of pushback and it's going to be ugly. So just being that support and doing the best that you can, I think is the main thing, but expect it to be emotionally harder than you ever imagined. And it can be a great place. And there can be a lot of people flourish with the social activities and some of those responsibilities being off of them. Sometimes having a home that you've always been the one to care for can be really hard to hire help with those things. So sometimes a new environment can be a good shift for them. So there's always good and bad with all of our decisions, right? But I think this is one that we want to think, oh, it's like a hotel. It's a permanent vacation. <laughs> it's not that fun. <laughs> not in the initial transition. Like a sorority. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I love the statement that you made about we're we're childrening, we're not parenting. That's that's a really that's a really good mind visual for me. I think that is one of the most important mindset shifts we need to make is mm -hmm. it's easy to step into a parenting role because the needs are very similar, but we're not parenting. We're childing, you know, we're still their child and we're, you know, we're not under the same authoritative situation, but oftentimes we are those family things kind of rise up there. And so really trying to find the way to honor and respect them as an adult who's lived and made decisions their whole life um, is such an important key of, of keeping the friction away. And again, I think as we age, we know that parenting a child, young child and parenting an adult looks different. And that's a fun little dance that we get to learn. Right. <laughs> and the same thing, childing's the same way. It's that new dance that we're having to put on a, a role that we haven't had to before. So we really need to spend some time thinking about that and processing through what does it look like? How do I do this to support them? Well, well, tell me about your book. So the name of my book is No Regrets, Hope for Your Caregiving Season. And the first 10 chapters are kind of the stories with, you know, how I hired and fired people, how we manage medications, doctors. Mm -hmm. You do become a manager whenever you're, especially for someone that doesn't have the ability to do that themselves. And so a lot of those tips and, and just growing pains that we went through as a family, the last six chapters are self-care. And none of us like to hear about self-care, but all of us need it more than we realize. And it's not about taking a day off. It's not about the spa or those fancy vacations. It's about the everyday routines and the mindsets that help us to be able to be resilient in this really tough season of life. 
um, walking our parents home. There isn't probably anything you'll do that's much harder than that um, because of the changes of, of roles and because of the way that parents have always been that person for us. My dad has always been my safe place to land. And so no matter what life threw at me, he was there and um, now he's not. And that's hard. And, and making that transition is a difficult journey. So we really have to learn how to take care of ourselves. And we have to make sure that we have that on the radar because our to-do list grows significantly from taking care of our own home and our own family, our career, to now having another group of, of needs that are really large. And we really can't do it all. We have to figure out how to let go of some things for this season of life and allow the needs to increase as they need to. And then again, walk back into the life that you love after that season's over. So, Yeah, I think especially as women, we don't take care of ourselves no. in general. So when extra crisis come up or extra to-do list things come up, that would be really hard. Mm-hmm. And we don't anticipate it. I think... You know, I, I often think of when you have a brand new baby, the whole life, the whole world stops and they expect you to stop. You know, you've got so many weeks that your body's recovering and you're not sleeping and all of those things on the other end of that bell curve is walking your loved one all the way home. And it's, it's the demands are very much the same, the bedside, you know, on the bedside waiting, we don't know how long that's going to last. And we need to be better at putting our lives on hold and focusing on that and allowing ourselves the space to grieve and to say goodbye and allow that to be the sacred moment that it is um, without guilt, without, you know, missing it. I think missing it would be most tragic, but, you know, really allowing ourselves to understand that we're on a different end of life and, and it's hard and it takes a lot to do it. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much. That was a lot of great information. I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. I think we don't like to talk about it. <laughs> we don't like to talk about walking them home, yeah, but we also think. don't think about how long the journey is or or yeah. how we're going to handle it. So we've got to, we've got to be willing to talk more about it for sure. So and there's so many things in life that would just be easier if we would just talk about it, you know, just I agree. Hundred percent. So and even learn right right then. <laughs> yes, yes. And even the relationships with our siblings, or if we're an only child, you know how to build that support around each other. We've got to talk about it. One of the things that I did when I was in town, my dad was at the day stays. I would go to lunch with my sister. My sister and I were not very close before we did this, and now we're best friends. And so, not because we're exactly alike. In fact, we're very different, but because we made the effort to really invest in each other and to always consider that we were trying to do the best we could do. And mm-hmm. it's a hard situation. So I think investing in those conversations and in those people in our lives, our spouses, all of that asking for that support is such an important thing. So, yeah. All right. So I'm going to have your links below and, um, to your sites and your book and also we'll add your book to our brand new media page <laughs> so Jane, i do have a podcast uh, podcast for caregivers as well okay. so i just want to okay. plug that in there because i think so many times as caregivers we are busy and on the go that we don't we feel really isolated so my mm-hmm. podcast is a season of caring and our goal is just to share stories of hope. So I have former caregivers, caregivers that are just sharing their stories of who they're caring for and 
really helping people to see, uh, you know, where their faith can come in, play with that and encourage them in that, because it is so important to look for God in the middle of that really hard space. So. Yeah, I think probably the, so my father passed away 2020 with COVID. Um, I think mm -hmm. probably the, the, um, the thing that worked most for me and my mom was that I take her to um, BSF, Bible Study Fellowship, every week. So it's getting her in the word. It's giving us time together in the word. And yes, that's I think that's the best thing that we've done. I love that because it does. It creates that appointment every week, mm -hmm. which keeps you engaged. But then it also keeps you centered around the word, which there's nothing that gives us more hope than mm -hmm. the word. So that's amazing. I love that. Thanks. Okay. All right, Giant Builders. We'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening. This has been The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant.